Podcast. The Gospel According to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Alrighty, happy church. It is that time to settle back in for our Bible study. Now, Matthew chapter 8, because God worked it out perfectly, didn't he? You'll recall we started our Matthew series verse by verse, chapter by chapter, back in uh, chapter 3, because I didn't want to go to the Christmas narratives uh, in springtime. And so I said, when Christmas comes, we'll go back and and finish up Matthew 1 and 2, which we just did. And of course, it fell perfectly through Advent. And now that we've finished Matthew 1 and 2, we can pick up where we left off. Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount. And so we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 8. This morning, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Father God, now as we always do and must do before we consider the word of God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our understanding and give us fresh insights in the way your word, like you wield it like a sword, sharp to go down deep into our souls to do its transformative work to cleanse and to heal and to direct with wisdom. We pray, God, that you would give us ears that can hear, eyes that can see and a heart that can understand so that these truths would set our hearts free again. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a show that we used to like to watch, you probably as well. Uh, and I've got a slide here, Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, right? Yeah, everybody liked that show because it's a clean show <laughs> about dirty jobs and those who must do them. And it's a show that makes you appreciate the job that you do have. Um, and they featured, you know, obvious choices like coal miners and sewer inspectors and oil rig workers and the likes. There were more extreme ones, of course, but, you know, I need to use some discretion. It's Sunday morning. Don't want to gross everybody out, right? And uh, there was one that was particularly uh, difficult to watch. The name of the job was Pig Slop Processor. So what they did was take all the leftover food from the area restaurants 
and process it to become uh, food for livestock. In this case, uh, they would make a big vat that would become swill for the swine. <laughs> and so, yeah, by the end of their day, uh, they were unrecognizable, covered uh, head to toe with all kinds of dirt and debris. And, you know, every single time they would say, all we're looking forward to is getting cleaned up, getting out of here and getting washed up. Now, what if there was no way to get cleaned up? What if there was no way to get that dirt and defilement from clinging to you? Imagine the grossness and the discomfort. Think about it. The disgusting nature of it all, but in a permanent sense. How horrifying a thought to be permanently defiled like that. Well, enter the dreaded skin disease of leprosy, uh, the topic of our text this morning. Here in Matthew 8, a quick four verses, a man covered with loathsome festering lesions. The very first person recorded in Matthew's gospel who will experience the miraculous power of healing from the Son of God. And he's listed first for a really good reason because he's a picture. He's a picture of you and he's a picture of me and every single human being on the planet who's born into the colony of spiritual lepers not a leprosy that affects the skin, but a defilement of the soul. And so we have a need to be clean on the inside, which is what the gospel's all about. I was talking to my wife. We were on our way out for dinner last night. And uh, on the way there in the car, I was, she asked me about the sermon. And I said, wow, it's just a quick four verses. But man, there's a lot to say about it. And she said, why? And I said, it's the, it's the guy with leprosy. It's the whole essence of Christianity and the gospel. It's the heartbeat of everything Jesus came to do. And she said, you know, I don't think most Christians know that. And I said, oh, they will. <laughs> oh, they will. And so check this out here. And just in time for Communion Sunday, how does God do it? Okay, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. What I did, a compilation for you. I went to the other Gospels. They uh, like to tell story, the story with a, uh, something extra or less. Or for the, it's to serve their purposes. So I collected a couple things there from Mark. And one important word from Dr. Luke. We know that Luke was a physician because Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14 says that he was a doctor. And so, verse 1. When Jesus came down the mountainside from preaching the sermon on the mountainside, large crowds were following him, a man covered with leprosy. So the doctor, of course, is going to tell you the uh, advanced state or the advanced condition. It wasn't just a little rash, like a little eczema on it. He was covered head to toe with lesions of leprosy. A man covered with leprosy came and kneels before Christ, begging and pleading, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
Jesus, filled with compassion, reached out his hand and touched the leper. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus gave him a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest in Jerusalem at the temple, 120 miles south. And offer the gift slash offering, same word, that Moses commanded in Leviticus chapter 14 as a testimony to the religious leaders. Oh, Messiah sent me to you. I was a leper, and now look at me. See, go and tell them, show the religious leaders who now want to kill me that Messiah is here with evidence of a healed leper. So we go on there instead... The guy, we can't blame him. (laughs) He goes out and begins to talk freely, spreading the news. But as a result, Jesus can no longer enter the town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came coming, still came to him coming from everywhere. And so there's the text we are going to focus in, but just a little bit of context here, and that can remain for a moment. So verse 1 tells you that Jesus has just finished a three-chapter sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is important to know because now in chapters 8 and 9, you're going to get 10 miracles back-to-back. So here's what's going on. There's not, this is nothing random about the gospel. It's all laid out for God's good purposes. And so 5, 6, and 7 chapters there in Matthew, uh, Jesus is expressing and revealing his divine authority. And now these miracles are going to provide evidence that he is who he claims to be, that he can rightfully assert that kind of authority, which the Bible says wowed everybody, and they were amazed that he didn't talk like a rabbi or like a normal teacher. He talked with the authority of God because he is God in human form. And so they picked up on that. But see, Jesus himself told the religious leaders, look, if I can't do what only God can do, don't believe me. But if I can do what only God can do, then believe, even though you're offended with me, believe on behalf of the miracles that only God could do. So in other words, in John chapter 10, when Jesus says that, he's saying, let these miracles help you over your offense, your problem with my claim. Because anybody could make these claims. I mean, he had just said that he was Lord of all and that every human soul would stand before him. This is in the Sermon on the Mount on the top. And he just said that he's the one who decides where a person will spend eternity. Well, anybody knows that the judge of the world is none other than God himself. Right? And so to make a claim to call yourself God and Lord, Jesus says, now look what I can do. So therefore, we put our trust in him because of chapters 8 and 9 show us the evidence that he is indeed who he says he is. And by the way, miracles are not the point. Christ didn't come as merely a miracle worker. He came to preach the gospel, lay down his life for the sins of the world, restore us to life, right? And the miracles are messages. They will always teach 
they will always preach what? The gospel. So God will uh, preach the gospel and signs and wonders will follow. What's important, what comes first is the truth that sets our hearts free in the form of everlasting life. So now you know what's coming and what's interesting in chapter eight. Three of the 10 miracles are presented and, and he strategically places these three first. Number one is a leper, an outcast. Number two will be a Gentile, an outsider. And number three will be a woman who back in those days was considered um, a second-class citizen. So what is this saying? This is saying, like I've been saying, these encounters are strategically laid out to show you God's heart is for the underdog, for those written off by the community without a voice, without an advocate, without much hope. Reminds me of a psalm, Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So exhibit A of those crushed in spirit is this man in misery. And it divides quite nicely. One will be a heartfelt request, of course, which gives way to a compassionate response. And then Jesus' strong warning. And what I want to do with verse 4 is end the sermon right before verse 4. And then it continues on into communion and will continue the text, uh, guiding us through what we call the Lord's Supper. And so let's dive in. Yeah, more than a terrible skin condition, I want you all to be thinking about what it really means. And what it really means is soap and water for a dirty body or medicine for a cure for what's outside. But what about a dirty soul? What about a conscience that's been defiled? How do you get clean where it counts? So here's your first couple verses. You know I like to paraphrase for you, so I will. Jesus wraps up the sermon. The words are still ringing in their ears as he comes down the hill, pursued by the excited multitude. And in the Greek, which the NIV leaves untranslatable, is behold, look, check it out. That's what it says. It says, check it out, check this out. Out of nowhere, a man totally consumed, totally consumed by leprosy comes and falls to his knees in front of Jesus, begging and pleading and says, Lord, I know you can, but do you want to? I know you have the power, but are you willing? You can make me clean. So the heartfelt request Indeed, now, and perhaps the most polite award <laughs> for approaching the Son of God goes to this man. And maybe that is why Jesus is quick to uh, give him what he needs. Uh, so we meet this miserable guy now. Uh, he's got Hansen's disease, modern day name for leprosy. Leprosy is caused by a bacteria it's called uh, Mycobacterium leprae, where we get leprosy. There, without cure before antibiotics, it attacks the peripheral nerves in the hands and the feet, the skin, of course, the upper respiratory tract, wherever there's mucus, 
the lining of the nose so that it gets eaten away so that the nose caves in completely and the digits are eaten away. I had pictures, but I decided no. <laughs> and uh, you said thank you, right? Um, you get it. It's all caps horrifying. It's terrible to think that they were stuck that way. And really, the physical pain wasn't the worst part, as we'll see. There are 250,000 active cases of leprosy today, mostly in India. Uh, there's multiple drug therapies. It takes about a year to, to get rid of it. And so during the convalescent time, there are still places that are colonies for people to convalesce under the multi-drug therapy. And, um, but back in the day, it was a death sentence on so many levels. And so this guy's covered. We've got the doctor's word for that, his advanced case there. So he's, got, he's had it for years and years and years, a disfigured face. His nose is imploded. Uh, he is missing digits. He has nubs for fingers, festering open sores, and white, flaky skin, just ghastly and ghostly, and it's permanent. And now he, we see him approaching Jesus out of nowhere. No announcement in the crowd. He's not supposed to be there, according to Leviticus. He is breaking the law of Leviticus chapter 13. The disease makes them, quote unquote, unclean. They must live alone, live outside city limits. And if they did happen upon somebody, they'd have to cry out in a loud voice, um, unclean, unclean. So as not to come in contact with somebody and make them unclean, that's what would happen. And so they were contagious. So this is the idea here, uh, that they would be defiled and isolated from family and community and the congregation. They couldn't worship with the people of God anymore. No more family, no more touch, no more human interaction, but just really isolated and alone. Now, this is what makes leprosy such a, a great metaphor for sin in the Bible. I got a little extended quote here. For these reasons, leprosy becomes a biblical model of sin and its effects. It is a contagious, debilitating disease that corrupts its victims and isolates them from God and his community of worshipers. It makes them essentially dead while they're living. That's what sin does. It cuts you off from life, separates us from God. Now, it followed throughout history then that society and religious people scorned the leper Rabbis especially despised them, seeing them as those under God's curse and judgment, deserving no pity or mercy, despite what the Old and New Testaments say about showing the needy compassion. These sufferers endured the pain of the disease without human sympathy, without human touch, isolated from life, without a sense of comfort or hope of ever being able to touch their loved ones again. And so, of course, you see why he's um, disobeying the law there by uh, mixing with a crowd close in. Those crowds were tight. And then coming before Jesus with no announcement. Well, of course, well, common sense and the spirit of the law and mercy go a long way with Jesus. 
He's not held accountable for that. And we applaud him, actually, for, for his faith that gets him to his only hope, Jesus. You know, ambulances don't get speeding tickets for a reason. And so this man is off the hook for breaking Leviticus uh, law there. And so notice his approach. Never was there more treasure in one simple verse than his approach to Christ. First of all, it comes in faith. He has just been through a three-chapter sermon where he heard the Lord describe himself as equal to God. And so he comes in faith to the one he knows can heal him. He comes in faith, right? He was hiding out. He heard the, the word. He connected the dots and made a beeline for Jesus. And number two, the proper posture before God. He bows low. The proper attitude before God. Humble. Humility. The proper approach to God. The word in the Greek is to worship. Proskuneo. It's the same word for worshiping. So he falls before Jesus, worshiping him, and then uses the proper title for Jesus, calling him Lord. And here's what he's saying. God, I, he's saying to Christ, I just heard you refer to yourself as Lord. Well, I heard it, and I'm a believer. Lord, if you're willing, I know you're able. Now, the proper prayer etiquette for me is really what's most uh, valuable here. Here's what he says. He says, I recognize your sovereignty that comes before my comforts and my conveniences. In other words, this is what I'd like you to do. I know you have the power to do it because you're God, but it's up to you what you desire, what you want for my life, because it may be different than what I want for my life. This is what the leper is saying in humility. Worshiping God, no naming something and claiming it, no commanding, no obnoxious ordering God and claiming something and being presumptuous with the Lord. No. He says, I know you can. I want you to, but I recognize you may have other ideas. One commentator wrote this. Those who like to be particularly strong and aggressive in their petitions to God, supposing that their bold confidence is an evidence of their faith, could uh, supposing that their bold confidence is evidence of their faith, right? They think that they're saying, "Look at look at how much faith I have." They could learn a lesson from our leper friend and the Lord Jesus Christ, who prayed exactly like the leper when he said, "Father." <laughs> I know you can. You can do all things. I'm quoting Jesus. I know you can. Take this cup from me in the garden. I'm sweating drops of blood here. I know you're able, but are you willing? Do you want to? What's your plan? Because your will before my own. It's the same prayer as the leopard. We need to follow the Lord and the leper in prayer etiquette. Amen. And so now maybe that's part of the reason why the heartfelt request gets a heartwarming response. Uh, verse 3 on the screen there for you. I'll paraphrase Jesus. Heart is moved with compassion. The word means to tear the gut. 
That's the literal meaning is that God, Jesus, God in a human body had pain inside. He was so moved and he reaches out his hand. We don't need to know this, but the Holy Spirit's making a point of the actual touching of something that nobody was allowed to do was touch the leper. And he touches the leper and says, of course I want to. I am willing. You're clean now. And at that moment, he stood completely cleansed. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. So a heartfelt request, now a heartwarming yes from God's only begotten son. God's heart here is really revealed, isn't it? And that's why Jesus came. Part of the reason was to reveal God the Father to us. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Colossians 2.9 says, Jesus is the fullness of God in human form. And when Philip says on the night he was betrayed, Jesus, he says, Jesus, we're all, uh, we're freaking out here. Give us a glimpse of God the Father. Show us God. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and still you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen God, you see? And so what is this verse showing us about God? Showing us that he loves the contrite the broken spirit, the down and out, the lonely soul, the person nobody has time or love for, those cast aside from society who everybody turns away. That's who God is drawn to, the losers, the lonely, the broken, the shunned of society. The world is drawn to rich and powerful, beautiful, sexy, handsome, accomplished, talented, gifted. And Christians fawn over them as well. But Jesus is drawn to the outcast. When he goes to church, what? He's always looking for somebody who's down and out, who's hurting, who's lonely, who's on the out. Always. He was in church and he saw somebody with a withered hand and he calls him out. He saw an old woman bent over with burdens and in her bodily pain and, and came to her rescue. And then he cast out a demon. These are three things that happened when Jesus went to church. And all the, the, the perfect people, the perfect people sitting there pointing their fingers and wagging their tongues and looking down their noses at all these poor, accursed people with their problems. But Jesus is drawn to them. That's how it always will be. And you may not get all your diseases healed, but one thing for sure, he will always say, yes, I am willing to any soul that says, I need to be cleaned. I've been defiled. My mind is compromised. My heart is dirty. My conscience is guilty. I feel shame on the inside. I need to be clean. And, he, and you can make me clean. And he'll say, I am willing every single time. That is a guarantee from God. And thank God 
that it's so because we need to because we get defiled every single day and we have little leprous outbreaks even though we've been cured in Christ the bacterium remains dormant doesn't it and the only way that you know that you still kind of can manifest the disease even though you've been cured technically is because you have outbreaks of envy and jealousy. You can't even go on Facebook and remain undefiled. <laughs> you can't watch television and not be get sucked into coveting and greed and, and lust. You can't have a conversation without spilling over the banks into gossip and slander. And when we have leprous outbreaks, we have a fountain we have a cleansing that's available with a God who says, I'm willing, be clean. That's a beautiful thought. And so, yeah, God is drawn to this guy no one cares about, nobody, and nobody wants to root for him, nobody's standing in his corner, and nobody's willing to touch or to care, or to help or to love, except Jesus and those like Jesus. One writer said, we are never more like Christ than when we love the unlovely and show compassion to those crushed in spirit who others turn away. Got any lepers on the horizon? Of course you do. Society has its lepers for sure. And the church community as well. And God help the soul that stumbles and falls back into sin and then wants to come back because I've seen what Christians can do who are not like Christ. They keep them out. They make their pain worse and they will not touch. They'll point their finger but they won't lift their hands to help. And Jesus says, be like me. Church, Jesus is the friend of sinners. And he knows how to be their friend without moral compromise, without condoning their sin or theological errors. You can still love. So it was totally unnecessary for Jesus to touch him. He doesn't need to touch him, as we will see in the next miracle next week. Uh, the Roman centurion says, hey, listen, you, Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. And, and his servant is laying sick, right? And the Roman uh, centurion says, oh, you don't need to make the trip and get into my house and I'm a Gentile and all of that. Just say the word. You're the Lord. Just say the word. Just say it. Why, why, you don't have to come. And Jesus goes, what? I'm astonished. You're even a Gentile. Wow. I haven't found faith like that. Well, so Jesus doesn't need to lay his hand on, but he lays his hand on him in slow motion. If it was a movie, everything, all you'd see is the hand going out like this to his leprous skin and touching him. Why? Because Jesus wants to uh, heal him at a deeper level. He hasn't been touched in years and years and years. And Jesus says, it's going to be okay. And touches him. I had a guy come up and he couldn't talk to me. He was so choked up after first service. And he said, I've been, I was divorced. My wife cheated on me. 
and crushed me. And for 20 years, I was alone. And God brought this beautiful woman. We've been married over two years. We've never had an argument. She's beautiful. The touch, again, of a human being. It's a wonder. And this guy was deprived, and Jesus says, oh, no, not anymore. Not anymore. Because God has seen you. God knows you. God loves you. And here is a touch. And he touches. He touches them not only for the guy's sake. He touches them for the onlooker's sake. Yeah, you're not supposed to touch a leper, but he's still a human being. That's what he's saying to the crowd. He's a human being, people. So stop with your righteous laws. And he touches them for our sake, for the sake of the human family, the colony of defiled ones, plagued far worse than any variety of a skin disease, but we have lesions festering in our souls. And the origin of our contamination, how did we catch this nasty spiritual disease? We caught it through our father. He passed it down to us, Adam and our mother, through one man's sin. Listen to Romans chapter 5. Through one man's sin. Sin and death spread is the word. It's the same word to spread a disease. Sin and death was spread to all men, to the entire race was infected in them. They transmitted their transgression to us through their blood. We have been infected, defiled at birth. And if you don't believe that, that's the silliest thing in the world. By your sinful choices, you prove that you were defiled even at birth. Then why else would you sin? If you're saying, no, I, I don't believe in original sin, then why do you lie? Why do you covet? Why do you steal? You steal and lie and covet because you got the disease that you were born with and you come in contact with, the, with Adam and now God says and he calls him the second Adam. Jesus comes and touches him and he removes his defilement and Jesus now technically speaking Leviticus becomes unclean because he took it off of him and put it on himself. And so through the trade here we have Jesus the son of God who's pure touches the man who's impure, makes him pure, and now Jesus technically becomes defiled and unclean. And then Jesus will take the uncleanness of the world and take it to the cross and pay for it with his own blood. I've got two scriptures on one slide for you to see. Peter says it this way, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and alive to what's right by his wounds, you are healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus comes and he touches not only a leper, 
but he touches the widow, has a son who's died. They're going to have a funeral. He's in a coffin, and he touches the coffin. That is against biblical law because now he's unclean. So he's associated with death. He's defiled by death. And then when the little girl, 12-year-old, is laying dead in the bed, he takes her hand, touches a corpse, and says, little girl, arise. And now she comes to life, but he must die, defiled. It's the great trade. I've got a slide that just shows you the trade. We're cleansed by his touch. He's defiled by touching us. <laughs> We're forgiven by his touch. He's condemned by touching us. We are restored to the Father. He's forsaken. And he cries out on the cross. Psalm 22 my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know the pain and suffering of, of Christ. In that moment, he's been co-eternal with the Father, eternally with him. And now there's a breach as the Father turns away from him as though he were the sinful one, full of evil full of uncleanness, full of defilement. The father turns his face away. And the answer is, why have you forsaken me? So I will not have to forsake them. That's the answer there. And that's the reason that sin and death have no hold on us. He took it on himself, takes it to the cross, pays for it all. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. We're going to pray. And uh, we're going to prepare for communion by looking at verse 4 and the treasure of what's behind, and most Christians don't realize this, when Jesus sends him to Jerusalem to offer the gift to reinstate him back into society, the priests have to check him out. But there's two little ceremonies that, that this cleansed leper has to go through in Leviticus 14 that Jesus is telling him to go do. And most Christians didn't bother to go look at what that entailed. But it is a treasure house. And so it is going to open up the way for us to take communion together. And so let's pray and the worship team come up. Father God, now we thank you for this time of communion as we continue the message through verse 4. Guide us, God, into your great love and to the great sacrifice of Christ, which goes beyond words. It's even love is surpassed in this knowledge. God, we pray that you would uh, help us understand your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so verse four now before you. And we'll walk through and get ready for communion. Let's finish up with a third point, a stern warning and a word of instruction here. An offering is needed to be made there in Jerusalem, as I said, a hundred miles south. And so Jesus, quoting, uh, paraphrasing, Jesus gives him a stern warning, says, don't get sidetracked, <laughs> do what's necessary. Uh, don't be telling people all about this make a beeline to Jerusalem and, and make the offering, do the ceremony prescribed in the law of Moses for cleansed lepers so you can come back to community, right? And give a testimony to those religious leaders. 
Instead of keeping quiet, he went blabbing all over the place. And so much so, Jesus couldn't appear publicly because of the frenzy. But still, the crowds kept coming. So people wonder why Jesus would say, Shh, don't tell anybody. But it's kind of evident in these verses that it was practical reasons. Jesus didn't come as a miracle worker, as I said. So he doesn't want people to get the wrong idea. Step right up, get your miracle. I've got a miracle. You need a miracle. That's not the point. The point is the gospel. And then signs and wonders can follow. So Jesus doesn't want people to get the wrong message. And he also wants this guy not to get sidetracked and get down there, give your testimony, and get reinstated to family and society by going through the ceremony. And so let's talk about that ceremony because it's amazing. And the best way to do it is to actually read it from Leviticus 14. So let's look at that. So the cleansed man standing before the priest is checking him out, poking and prodding. And then the priest will order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop, all ingredients in this concoction to cleanse, be brought for the person to be cleansed. Verse 5. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over the fresh running water in a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it. The word there can mean baptized into together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh running water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird into the open field to fly. Let's talk about this. Christ, of course, is the bird that has taken, uh, been taken from the heavens, who has come down to us like a dove, a clay pot, an earthen vessel, his body, the fresh running water, the sinlessness of the Son of God, and then he's killed, and the blood and the water flow from his side. The cedar wood, let me show you a picture of the cross. Why in the world would you put a block of cedar inside an earthen vessel? The cross, many scholars say, was made of cedar. So you've got 1,400 years before the Son of God appears. You've got cedar, the cross. You've got a king who was just wearing a robe of scarlet yarn just an hour before. You've got the fresh water which will flow from his pierced side. And you've got hyssop. Now, hyssop was a plant that was used for medicinal reasons and it had antiseptic qualities. But the Lord used it for spiritual antiseptic properties by saying, on the first Passover, the blood of the lamb put on the doorpost so that death would see that death had happened and pass over. It was applied only by bunches of hyssop 
leaves. You would take hyssop to apply the blood of the lamb. And King David, 500 years later, with, after he sinned with Bathsheba, say, wash me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And so at the end of the six hours on the cross, Jesus cries out, I'm thirsty, it's finished, it's over. Now they say, well, here's a sponge with wine vinegar and they put it on the end of a hyssop branch. So now in the concoction, you have everything. You have the cross, the water, the blood, the one who comes from the heavens down to be killed so his blood and the water can cleanse and not without the scarlet yarn and the hyssop branch as well. 1400 years to cleanse the leper. This is what happens. You baptize the live bird into the dead bird's blood and then that bird can fly away but not to do its own thing because there's one more ceremony that's just separated by a few sentences. Let me show you the next ceremony. Before the guy can leave the temple, he's got to do one more thing. The priest is to slaughter now a lamb for a sin offering in the sanctuary area where the sin offering and the burnt offerings are, are slaughtered. The priest is to take some blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. What is he saying? He's saying, okay, yeah, you were disabled, you were apart, you were alienated and unclean and now you fly free to do your own thing? No, you've been bought with a price. So now God has through blood sacrifice opened your ear to hear the voice of the living God's call and live, hear and live to do the word of God, to fulfill the word of God. The thumb, the hands, no longer to do misdeeds, but good deeds, born of a new spirit and a new heart, not of a defiled nature, of God's will. These hands belong to God now. Oh, set free, set free. Now I'm going to heaven and now I can do whatever I want. No, these hands are bought and paid for. So every time you see the thumb in your mind, he's going to remember that there was blood on that thumb. And the only reason he gets to use it in life is because it was redeemed by a blood sacrifice. And then the toe, wherever your feet take you, from this moment, leaving the sanctuary of grace where you've been restored and cleansed and healed and made whole and put right with God. Seek his kingdom now. Dream his dream for you. Do his work. Serve his purposes. Because you've been bought back from death to life, from darkness to light, from falsehood and error to truth. Now you owe him your life and he'll pour back into you joy and so the birds fly free I've got a picture of them they've been dipped and the only reason they can take to the skies and soar is because they've been baptized into life made possible 
through the Savior's death. And so we're going to take communion, remember that our lives have been set free to do his will. We belong to him, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing to belong to God who made us. Amen. Let's pray. God, as we now look to receive the elements of communion, thank you for reminding us of your great love, the assurance that we are safe forever, cleansed. Help us be sensitive to walk in purity by the power you give us through your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 